Welcome everybody listening to another episode of the one and only Sean Sports Top Podcast. This is episode number 301. Thank you so much for listening. There may be some background noise as I'm in a park right now, but I'm still going to do the episode. It's honestly really refreshing to do it outside my room for once. It's nice outside the birds are chirping. Let me know if it's too distracting and I won't do it again, but it's honestly really cool to me. Last episode I did was a week ago, so like I said, it's been a week. A lot has happened in the baseball world with the NLCS and ALCS finishing up. Uh, last Tuesday was Game 2 of the NLCS. The The Braves took a big lead against the Dodgers, and the Dodgers almost came back. The Braves won that game and took a 2-0 series lead. After that, the, the Dodgers exploded in Game 3 for like 11 runs in the first inning, destroying the Braves in Game 3 and cutting the series to 2-1. to one. Um, in, game, in Game 4... The Braves had a, a pretty monster seventh inning, I believe it was, and they took a 3-1 series lead. Game five was close, but a three-run home run from Will Smith um, gave the Dodgers the lead, and they held on. Game six, the Dodgers won a very close game by a score of 3-1 to one to force a game seven. And yes, or two days ago in game seven, the Dodgers won 4-3. So it was 4-3 in game seven and 4-3 in the series. So the Dodgers advanced to their fourth or to their third World Series in four years. Hopefully the third time is the charm. And they will play the Tampa Bay Rays, who despite blowing a 3-0 series lead against the Houston Astros in the ALCS, hold on in Game 7 with Charlie Morton on the mound facing his former team and former teammate and current friend Lance McCullers Jr. The Astros get sent home in 29 fan bases and fans can just exhale as the cheaters finally lost in 2020. Although if they didn't cheat this year, it's uh, very impressive what they've been able to pull off. And uh, yeah, it's Dodgers race in the World Series. It's uh, today is Tuesday, October twentieth, twenty twenty. So the game one is later today. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like I said, game one will be later today in about an hour. But obviously, the NFL season happened, and we have something to talk about. The New York Jets are winless through six games after falling to the Miami Dolphins in a twenty-four to zero blowout and shutout on Sunday. And uh, But according to head coach Adam Gase, everything is wrong with the Jets, saying, quote, we haven't done anything well at all. He said this after the latest loss. Frank Gore, obviously one of the best running backs of all time, says plays are out there for the Jets. Quote, we're just not making them. And he adds that he's not just sticking up for Adam Gase when he says that. Against the Dolphins, who pitched their first shutout in six seasons and their first against the Jets since the 1982 AFC Championship game, uh, Jets quarterback Joe Flacco, I'm not used to saying that, as uh, Sam Donald, I believe he was injured. Flacco was 21-44, passing for 186 yards and an interception, while running back Frank Gore led the way for the Le'Veon Bell-less Jets with 46 yards on 11 carries. Wide receiver Brashad Perryman, Perryman had four catches for 62 yards. Gore is a 16-year veteran as a running back, so that's unbelievable. He expresses frustration as well with his team during his post-game press conference, saying, quote, we can't fucking wait until the fourth quarter to start playing ball. Gase is 7-15 in his tenure with the Jets and has not won a game in New York since December. He said he's, he said he's not thinking about being fired and is looking ahead to week seven, but it is widely expected that he will get fired, and he should, saying, quote, I have to focus on making sure our guys are ready to go when we get back in the building. According to the New York Post, the Jets host the 4-1 Buffalo Bills on Sunday, so not looking good for the Jets, not looking good for Adam Gase. And um, with that, I'm going to transition into some hockey. Don't talk about hockey too much, but longtime NHL announcer Mike Doc Emmerich announced on Monday that he will retire, according to Phil Mushnick of the New York Post. Uh, NBC Sports provided a video tribute to the announcer. He's he's a legend. He's an unbelievable hockey commentator, and it's a pleasure to watch hockey games that he commentates. It was a pleasure while he was still uh, active in his career. 
I mean, after 3,750 plus professional and Olympic hockey games, 100 different verbs used to describe a passer shot, and 22 Stanley Cup finals, the legendary Mike Doc Emmerich has announced his retirement from broadcasting. He's pretty much like the Vince Scully of the NHL in terms of announcing. He said, quote, I hope I can handle retirement okay, especially since I've never done it before. But I've just been extremely lucky for 50 years. And NBC has been so good to me, especially since the pandemic, when I was allowed to work from home in a studio NBC created. Now into my golden years, this just seemed to be the time that was right. And you love that attitude. I mean, he's 74 years old and he's saying that he's going into his golden years now. So he seems like a very positive and optimistic person. The 74-year-old um, most recently called games for NBC, also spending time with ESPN, Fox, and more in a career that spanned like he said, five decades, 50 years. Uh, I mean, 22 Stanley Cup finals, 45 Stanley Cup playoffs slash final game sevens, six Olympics, NHL winner classics and all-star games. Absolute legend. And um, I wish him nothing but the best, nothing but the best in his future. Here's back to the NFL. The New England Patriots fell to 2-3 and three after Sunday's 18-12 loss to the Denver Broncos. But quarterback Cam Newton still, still feels confident in, in the team, saying, quote, there's no need to press the panic button. There's no need to start reinventing the wheel. We have the answers in the locker room. The rough start is definitely a rare run for the Patriots, marking the first time the team is under 500 this late in the season, <laughs> five games in, not very late, since 2002. New England has had its season interrupted by multiple positive COVID-19 tests, allowing the team only two practices over the past two weeks. So that definitely affected them in the games, no doubt about it. And Newton missed the previous team previous game against the Kansas City Chiefs and he was away from the squad until being removed from the reserve COVID-19 list on Wednesday. He was cl clearly rusty in Sunday's loss, throwing two interceptions while producing only a 51.6 quarterback rating. Although he added 76 yards on the ground and a touchdown on the ground, it was still a disappointing effort with only 12 points scored and only three in the first three quarters. So that's just not going to get it done. The Patriots will bounce back though. They have a very solid quarterback in Cam Newton. They have Bill Belichick. They're going to be back there, the fucking Patriots. Transitioning to the NBA, this is big. Giannis Antetokounmpo will be eligible to sign a Supermax contract extension this summer, and more than a few teams will be waiting eagerly to see what he decides to do. Even if he does not sign that deal and instead chooses to become a free agent next year, Tim Bontemps of ESPN reported Monday that the Milwaukee Bucks have no plans to trade the two-time MVP. Quote, multiple sources have, have emphatically said Milwaukee will not look to trade onto Tsukumpo if he passes on the extension. Instead, the Bucks will try to improve their roster and use the next year to show onto Tsukumpo why he should stay. Waiting would give onto Tsukumpo maximum leverage over Milwaukee over the next 12 months. If the Bucks are willing to add to their payroll to improve the team, something ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski has reported they are, Milwaukee could choose or could chase a significant upgrade in trades despite being short in prime assets. It's clear that Milwaukee needs to make some roster changes after being the Eastern Conference's top seed two seasons in a row, yet still not making a single NBA Finals. It may be difficult to add a third star alongside the Greek freak Giannis and Chris Middleton, with players like Eric Bledsoe, Brooke Lopez, George Hill, and Dante, Vin Dante DiVincenzo, the top ass assets on the roster. The Bucks also have the Indiana Pacers' first-round pick in this year's draft and their own 2021 first-round pick as potential trade chips. For instance, they could make the money work in the potential Chris Paul trade by using a combination of those players. But would the Oklahoma City Thunder accept such a trade package? I don't think they would. It's more likely the Thunder would prefer promising young players draft assets and, sal and salary cap relief through the market that, uh, though the market that forms around Paul may dictate those demands. If Giannis chooses to hit free agency, it would make the Bucks want to urgently improve their roster. Whether they have the assets to do so is another story. And if he doesn't sign the Supermax, to me, that's an indication that he does not want to stay in Milwaukee because that's 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 how he guarantees himself the most money. And if he doesn't take it, that shows to me that he doesn't want to stay in Milwaukee. Um, 
His decision will likely affect other teams as well. As Bonseps noted, should Antetokounmpo sign a long-term extension with the Bucks, it would end the hopes that teams like the Toronto Raptors, Miami Heat, and Dallas Mavericks might have of signing him next year. It wouldn't be surprising if the New York Knicks were putting all their eggs in the Giannis basket as well, based on their pursuit, the previous pursuit of Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and other free agents. So we'll see. Personally, if I had to bet, uh, if I had to bet, I would say, I would say that Giannis will leave. That's just my gut feeling. I'm not sure where to. Maybe the Lakers, maybe the Heat are a good option. The Mavericks, possibly the Knicks. Maybe, who knows? I don't think he's staying in Milwaukee. That's my. That's what I think. Switching gears uh, back to the NFL. Philadelphia Eagles tight end Zach Ertz is expected to miss three to four weeks with an ankle injury. While running back Miles Sanders will miss at least Thursday's game against the New York Giants with a knee injury. ESPN's Adam Schefter added, added that Sanders... Has a timetable of one to two weeks. Sanders came out of Sunday's game against the Baltimore Ravens with a knee injury after totaling 118 rushing yards on nine carries. Very solid. He has at least 80 rushing yards in four of his five appearances, although injuries continue to hold him back. He also missed week one with a hamstring injury. Sanders has 434 rushing yards on just over six yards per attempt, but the Eagles will once again have to play without him in week seven and possibly longer. Meanwhile, Ertz suffered an ankle injury against the Ravens and was unable to return. The 29-year-old has been able to avoid major injuries throughout his career, playing at least 14 games in each of his first seven NFL seasons. However, he has missed at least one game in four of the last five years, so the injuries are catching up to him, and he's in the midst of a disappointing season as he only has 24 catches for 178 yards and one touchdown so far, and the Eagles uh, uh, are just bad. They're just bad, and um, yeah. So with that, I am going to... Briefly switch gears to some golf. Not something I talk about, but Capitals wants the match. The match champions for change is replacing two legends with two legends. This edition of the this edition of the event will be the first one without Tiger Woods. Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback Tom Brady also won't be back to uh, reprise his role as he will be in the middle of the 2020 NFL season. But basketball icons Charles Barkley and Stephen Curry will participate this time around. The event is scheduled for November 27th at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 p.m. Pacific at Stone Canyon Golf Club in Oro Valley, Arizona. It will be televised on TNT and Bleacher Report. We'll provide up in the Bleacher Report app. So make sure to check that out. Um... According to Turner Sports, the event will put a focus on historically black colleges and universities as well as increasing diversity and equality in sports. Quote, Capital One's The Match Champions for Change will uniquely contribute toward and highlight diversity, equality, and inclusion through donations to historically black colleges and universities, HBCUs, while raising awareness and spotlighting opportunities for diversity and equality in sports. All four players have previously supported diversity and inclusion initiatives throughout their careers, which has led to them teaming up for this event. Additional information on these elements, among others, will be announced at a later date. So Phil, Mik Phil Mickelson and Charles Barkley will team up and face Peyton Manning and Stephen Curry in a showdown that will feature the professional and an, inf and an infamously poor golfer on one side and two notable amateur golfers who dominated in their, in their respective sports on the other. Woods and Mickelson went head-to-head -head in the first edition of the match in 2018 with the latter winning on the fourth playoff hole. The second one added Manning... Um, added man Peyton Manning Tom Brady and plenty of good natured trash talk and joking in May of this year so this is going to be fun it's uh for charity so to speak uh so I think it's it's going to be really fun I think that's uh my personal opinion but um yeah I, I think it's going to be uh, I think it's going to be really cool so with that um with that, I'm going to switch gears to more NFL. Um, so the Atlanta Falcons have... Oh, man, 
had some technical difficulties here. The Atlanta Falcons have NFL insiders wondering if quarterback Matt Ryan and wide receiver Julio Jones will be, quote, shopped ahead of the November 3rd trade deadline per ESPN. The duo reported Tuesday the Falcons could be heading toward a near-complete teardown with Ryan and Jones among the high-profile names to hit the tra- trade block in such an instance. Atlanta is 1-5 after posting a 7-9 record in each of the last two seasons. The Falcons did score a 40-23 win over the Minnesota Vikings on Sunday in their first game under interim head coach Raheem Morris, Raheem Morris excuse me, who was promoted from defensive coordinator after Dan Quinn's firing last week. It was about time that Dan Quinn got fired, and what do you know, he's gone. The Falcons get their first win of the season. Quote, it shows what we're capable of doing, Matt Ryan told reporters. We just have to find a way to be at that level week in and week out. And I agree with that. I think the Falcons, I've been saying, they're, they're a very talented team. Matt Ryan is extremely underrated, one of the best QBs in the league. Julio Jones, arguably the best wide receiver in the world. Todd Gurley is an extremely talented running back despite his injuries. Um, the biggest hurdle to any potential trades involving Atlanta's offensive stars is their contracts. Matt Ryan, the 2016 NFL MVP, and Jones, a seven-time Pro Bowler, are both signed through the 2023 season with the quarterback on a five-year, $150 million contract and the wide receiver having a three, three-year, $66 million deal. Those type of contracts are definitely tough to move, given the NFL salary cap, particularly in Ryan's case, since his cap hit is scheduled to skyrocket to $40.9 million in 2021 per spot track. Absolutely unbelievable numbers. So, yeah, I don't think the Falcons should blow it all up just yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if it happens. Transitioning back to the NBA... The Indiana Pacers have found their next head coach. Indiana hired Toronto Raptors assistant Nate Bjorkin on Tuesday. Contract terms were not immediately released, though ESPN's Woj reported it's a multi-year deal. Philadelphia 76ers assistant Imeo Doka, Miami Heat assistant Dan Craig, and New Orleans Pelicans assistant Chris Finch were the other finalists for the job, according to The Athletic. The Pacers announced on August 26th that they had fired Nate McMillan after being swept by the Miami Heat. In the first round of the playoffs, the announcement even referenced McMillan's 3-16 and record in the playoffs, although it didn't add the context that DeMontis Sabonis was injured this year, Victor Oladipo was injured last year, and the, te- and the team took LeBron James' Cleveland Cavaliers to seven games in the first round in 2018, so it's not like they were horrible in the playoffs. And while McMillan lost in the first round of the playoffs for all four of his seasons in Indiana, he finished with a 183 and 136 overall record. He also largely maximized what could have been realistically expected of the team in 2019-20 with Oladipo coming off a ruptured quad and Sabonis sideline in the playoffs with a foot injury. So he, he made the most of what he had. I don't think it's fair to blame Nate McMillan, but this seems like a pretty solid hiring for the, for the Indiana Pacers. Transitioning back to the NFL... Days after making his NFL debut, the Miami Dolphins are making 2020 first-round pick Tua Tagovailoa their starting quarterback, according to ESPN's Adam Schefter. Tagovailoa stepped onto the field for the first time in Sunday's 24-0 win over the New York Jets. He went 2-for-2 for 9 yards, so obviously not much action at all. Tagovailoa was clearly going to replace Ryan Fitzpatrick at some point. To see him elevated to the starting job after six games is a bit of a surprise, though, to me, considering that Ryan Fitzpatrick has been pretty solid. Um, NFL Network's Ian Rappaport reported in, Dece- in September... The Dolphins preferred to have the former Alabama star ride the pine in his rookie season. The COVID-19 pandemic limited how much he could prepare for his first year, and he had a lengthy recovery from a dislocated hip that he suffered with Alabama. Head coach Brian Flores made it clear on October 6th, which is now 14 days ago, two weeks exactly, that he wouldn't lean on Tagovailoa unless the Southpaw was physically ready per ESPN, saying, quote, he's checked all the boxes from, from a medical standpoint. He has. Look, the honest thing for me is if it was my kid and he had a serious injury like that, I wouldn't want his coach to throw him in there because of media pressure or anything like that. That's kind of how I approach this situation and really all situations. The players, essentially, they are my kids, so no one is going to pressure me into doing anything. When we feel like he's ready to go, we'll put him in. So that's amazing. I love that attitude from Flores. 
it's like literally like his kid and the fact that he that he talks about it in that sense shows how mature of a coach and how good of a coach he is uh Fitzpatrick's performance is another reason why the change was unexpected now he has thrown for 1,535 yards 10 touchdowns and seven interceptions and he has and his 255.8 yards per game are the second highest of his career at three and three the Dolphins are only one game back of the Buffalo Bills for first place in the AFC East so they're doing about as well as anybody could have reasonably expected given the fact that they're the Miami Dolphins of course (laughs) so so yeah Switching gears to more NFL, the Dallas Cowboys are absolutely imploding. Following a disastrous 38-10 loss to the Arizona Cardinals on Monday night, frustration seems to be boiling over in the Dallas Cowboys locker room. Per NFL Network's Jane Slater, an unnamed Cowboys player said members of the coaching staff, quote, aren't good at their jobs. Bombshell. Bombshell stuff here. Another player said the coaches are, quote, totally unprepared. They don't teach. They don't have any sense of adjusting on the fly. There was optimism around the Cowboys coming into the season thanks in large part to the offensive talent in place. Dallas finished first in total yards per game, second in football outsiders offensive DVOA, and sixth in points scored last season under first-year offensive coordinator Kellen Moore in 2019. While the offense has continued to play at a great level this this season, the season-ending ankle injury that Dak Prescott suffered in Week 5 against the New York Giants does put a lot of pressure on backup veteran Andy Dalton. Dalton struggled in his first uh, test against the Cardinals, completing 34 of 54 passes for 266 yards, one touchdown, and two interceptions. Very Andy Dalton-like, if you ask me. The offense has had issues uh, hanging onto the ball with an NFL high nine lost fumbles through six games. They also have the NFL's worst defense by points allowed at 36.3 a game. They rank 31st in rushing yards allowed per game at 173.3 and tied for last in total takeaways with only three. So the Cowboys are very are struggling mightily on defense this year. Uh, head coach Mike McCarthy is in his first year with the Cowboys. and Mike Nolan joined the staff as defensive coordinator despite not having that job in the NFL since his final season with the, with the Atlanta Falcons in 2014. And the 61-year-old spent the previous three years as the linebackers coach for the New Orleans Saints. Despite all of those issues, the Cowboys are still lead the dismal NFC East with a 2-4 and record heading into Sunday's matchup with the equally dismal Washington football team. Um, so now let's look at the rest of the NFL uh, Week 6 scores. The Tennessee Titans won a crazy game against the Houston Texans, 42 to 36 in overtime. What a game! The Titans are now five and zero. I'm not. They might be the only undefeated team left, while the Texans fall to an abysmal one and five. Um, so big win for the Titans, 14-0 in the first, 10-7 Texans in the second, 13-0 Texans in the third, and then 15-15-13 Titans in the fourth, and 6-0 Titans game-winning touchdown in overtime. Next up, the Baltimore Ravens beat the Philadelphia Eagles in a game that was way closer than I thought it would be, 30-28. to They are now 5-1. They are looking very good, while the Eagles fall to a horrible 1-4-1. And, and despite that horrible record, they're still very much in the thick of things in the NFC East. So I'm 2-for-2 two two on predictions so far. Then the Atlanta Falcons beat the Minnesota Vikings 40-23 to to improve to 1-5, while the Vikings fell to 1-5. Two bad teams, two teams that have been playoff contenders in recent years, but really took a big step back this year. I got this one right as well, so I'm 3-for-3 three three so far this week. Then, the, here's the other undefeated team. The Pittsburgh Steelers took care of the division rival Cleveland Browns 38-7 at home to improve to 5-0, and while the Browns still fall to a very respectable 4-2, given the fact that they're the Cleveland Browns and how bad they've been in recent years. Got this one right, 4-4. Four for four. Next up, the Indianapolis Colts beat the Cincinnati Bengals 31-27 to improve to 4-2, while the Bengals fall to 1-4-1. One, one. I got this one right, I'm 5-for-5. Five five. Then, in a big upset... 
at least to me, the Detroit Lions beat the Jacksonville Jaguars 34-16 on the road to improve to 2-3, and three, while the Jaguars fall to 1-5. and five. They're back to being the Jaguars. Got this one wrong. Um, 5-6. for six. Then the Chicago Bears got the road win against the Carolina Panthers 23-16 to 16 by a touchdown to improve to a very solid 5-1, and one, while the Panthers fall to 3-3. Three and three. They're doing pretty good for the talent that they have on their team. Got this one right, 6 out of 7. Then the New York Giants barely beat the Washington football team 20-19 to at home to get their first win of the season and improve to 1-5, while the Washington falls to 1-5. These are just two bottom feeders, two horrible teams that, that are in the same division. The Giants got the win. They're the home team. I got this one right. I'm now at 7 out of 8. One that I did not get right is the Broncos beating the Patriots on the road 18-12. to Both teams are now 2-3 and three after this game, and I got this one wrong, so that puts me at, what, 7 out of 9, I believe. Then the Miami Dolphins shut out the New York Jets 24-0 to improve to 3-3, three three, while the Jets are winless at 0-6. Absolutely horrible. Got this one right. Um, what am I at? I think that's 8 correct. Here, let's see. So um, uh, let, me, let me just do like a record. So 1-0, 2-0, 3-0, 4-0. 5 and 0, 5 and 1, 6 and 1, 7 and 1, 7 and 2, 8 and 2. I'm 8 and 2 so far. Next, Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat up the Green Bay Packers 38 to 10. I got this one wrong. It's the it's the Packers first loss of the year. They're now 4 and 1 while the Bucks improved to 4 and 2. Huge win for the Bucks to really prove it to themselves. And yeah, one that I did not expect is the San Francisco 49ers to beat the Los Angeles Rams. They took care of the Rams at home 24 to 16 to improve to 3 and 3 while the Rams fall to 4 and 2. The Rams have now lost to the Bills and 49ers. Um, yeah, I mean, the 49ers might be a better team when fully healthy. At least that's what I was thinking. But I thought with all the injuries, the Rams would get the job done. They did not. And um, yeah, I got this one wrong. Next up, yesterday, the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Buffalo Bills 26 to 17 to hand them their second loss of the year. The Chiefs are now 5 and 1 while the Bills are 4 and 2. Not, uh, I expected this. It's two very good teams going head to head. But the Chiefs are more talented. They have Patrick Mahomes. That's why they, they got the win. And in a game that may have surprised a lot of people, but did not surprise me one bit, the Arizona Cardinals destroyed the Dallas Cowboys 38 to 10 to improve to 4 and 2 on the year, while the Cowboys fall to 2 and 4. And I got this one right. So thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Sean Sports Stop. This was, this was number 301. I really appreciate it, and I'll see you guys on the next one.